Hello and welcome to episode 27 of The Jared White Show, recorded March 21st, 2019. I'm your host, Jared White, and I invite you to join me in a curated celebration of the art form that is the web. Happy spring, everybody! This is the new season of growth and of renewal and of sun and flowers and all sorts of good things. And I, for one, am very, very happy. <laughs> uh, winter was was getting to me. It was uh, it was definitely affecting my mood there in the the last few weeks of winter seasonal. Uh, whatever they call it, blah, blah, blah disorder. Anyway, I'm just very happy it's spring. Uh, Lots to talk about, lots going on. Um, This week has been absolutely bonkers for new product releases from Apple, which is a little surprising. Uh, We've all just been kind of waiting in the wings for the big announcement that Apple will be making at their event next week, presumably all about their Apple video service, maybe updates to Apple News with uh, subscription plans and all that. Um, And then Apple this week, just out of the blue, started dropping product bombs on everybody. (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to go into that on this episode. Uh, Basically, next week, when I record the podcast after the Apple event, uh, I'll go into, you know, what they announced at their event, as well as all of the products that have been released this week and next week. So we'll just We'll cover it all at once. For this episode, it's a topic I've actually been wanting to talk about for a little while now, and I've alluded to it a few times, but I'm really going to dive into it. Uh, I'm calling this episode The Year of the Personal Cloud, because this is the year that I've really gone all in on this idea of trying to find ways to replace all of the commercial cloud services that people typically use these days, uh, trying to find ways to replace those with uh, self-hosted internet services, or in a few cases, just simply finding smaller alternatives. So, you know, still using a commercial service, but but something on a much uh, more personal level. Uh, so uh, I'm just going to run through basically a lot of the changes I've made last year and this year and kind of just explain, you know, why I made these choices and what these different software packages are good for, why you might be interested in them. Um, Yes, this episode will be tech lingo heavy, but I'll try my best to keep it as succinct as possible. Uh, So, you know, please bear with me. And at any point, if you're just kind of scratching your head going, what is Jared talking about here? I really encourage you to shoot me an email. Just send me an email, jared at jaredwhite.com. And feel free to ask me any questions if you want more information about any of the software packages I talk about here, or if you want more information about how to get uh, stuff hosted yourself. If you would like to use one of these internet services as a self-hosted service yourself, uh, and you're not a Linux server admin, so you're like, well, I want to do this, but I don't know how to do this. Uh, well, that's that's what I do. <laughs> that's what I'm good at. So I am happy to help you out, especially, especially if you are a member of my Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash EssentialLifeJared, I have a $49 a month tier where I am your personal internet guru, and you can have me do all kinds of cool stuff for you. 
at your beck and call like truly that that is that is how this works so if you're if you tell me hey uh, this next cloud thing sounds really cool i want my own linux server i want it to run next cloud i want to switch away from uh, google calendars or or uh, Dropbox or whatever. I want to use Nextcloud, so make it happen, sir. And I will say gladly, and I will make it happen. And that's what you get with that Patreon tier. Um, but nevertheless, even if you aren't a Patreon member, still please contact me. Send me an email. It's totally cool. I'm I'm happy to to help people out with ideas and suggestions. All right, with that preamble out of the way, let's just dive right into. The Year of the Personal Cloud. So one of the first things that I really wanted to do, and it was somewhat born out of practical necessity, uh, is I want to find a way to get all of my files that I have uh, hosted on the internet in a file sharing, file syncing service, uh, I want all that under my control. So typically people will use Dropbox or iCloud Drive or Google Drive, or OneDrive by Microsoft, uh, maybe Box.net, uh, one of those services to store files that they intend to have shared between all of their devices, and sometimes files that they want to be able to share with others over the internet. Um, and that's, that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, of course, but the problem with relying on a service like that is you're basically just renting... <laughs> you're renting disk space and you're renting functionality from a huge commercial provider. So if you have all your files on Dropbox, you're trusting a company called Dropbox with all of your files. You're trusting that they'll keep those files secure. You're trusting that they'll you know, charge you a fair price. You're, you're putting a lot of trust with your most personal, your most intimate data. You're trusting all that to a commercial company. Obviously, Dropbox has a pretty good track record, or <laughs> I don't think people would be so uh, willing to use Dropbox, um, but, you know, they've done a good job. They've had a good product. I, I really don't have anything negative to say about Dropbox, but, um, but I just feel like, uh, you know, if you're going to look at your own computing usage and your own use of files and ask yourself, you know, is there, is there a better way for me to have control over my own data and to make sure I know exactly what's going on with it? and keeping it as private and secure as possible, um, I think uh, it, it bears some investigation. And so something that happened to me in particular that forced the issue was uh, iCloud Drive, which I'd actually switched to away from Dropbox. I just figured, you know, I, I use so many Apple services already, I might as well use iCloud Drive as well. It's very well integrated into iOS devices and so forth. Um, so anyway, I moved a whole bunch of my data over to iCloud Drive, and then all of a sudden, I realized one day that none of my files were syncing on my Mac. Correction, on my Macs. What? <laughs> yes, I kid you not. iCloud Drive stopped working on both my MacBook Pro and my iMac. And, you know, I ended up contacting Apple Tech Support and going around and around with some people there, and they promised they'd look into it, and I sent all kinds of diagnostic data over, and nothing happened, and then I tried to contact them again and to follow up, and they asked more questions and said they were going to look through the diagnostic data again, and then nothing happened. And long story short, Apple never fixed my iCloud Drive issue. 
<laughs> it is so bizarre. Like, I mean, I, I could have just kept trying to ping their tech support and, and uh, you know, keep keep at it. But uh, this this was basically just the catalyst to get me to do something I'd already been considering, which was to uh, move to my own self-hosted service. Uh, so, uh, so the first thing I tried was uh, a package called Own Cloud, like roll your own cloud. Um, so I installed Own Cloud on a Linux server using the DigitalOcean hosting provider. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about DigitalOcean in a moment. Uh, this is not a sponsored program in any way. DigitalOcean is not paying me to say anything good about them. I just am a huge fan of the of the hosting service, so uh, I'll tell you a little bit about it. But uh, anyway, I got Own Cloud set up and started using that, and um, it was pretty good. But it had a few limitations, it had a few drawbacks, and increasingly it was uh, frustrating me. Uh, one of the big drawbacks was their iOS app was very limited, and there was no way to sort of have that integrated experience with the Files app, which is very important to me. Um, ever since iOS added. Uh, file providers within the files app, which makes it very easy to open and save files from any application. Uh, you know, I I've come to rely on that for all of my iOS workflows. Um, so I switched over from own cloud to next cloud. And it was actually pretty easy to do that because Nextcloud was forked from OwnCloud. This is the beauty of open source. If an open source product is kind of languishing by the wayside and enough people want to uh, take it to the next level, they can just fork the project. That means basically clone the code base and continue developing it with a different organization running it. Um, you know, that can happen. So Nextcloud is a fork of OwnCloud. And I think at this point, Nextcloud has definitely eclipsed OwnCloud in terms of uh, mindshare and support and development prowess. So, um, so I recommend Nextcloud to everybody, not OwnCloud. Um, anyway, I have Nextcloud running. I've been using it for quite some time now. Um, and with very few exceptions, it's been really solid for me. Uh, all of my files are basically in a storage location on a server that I can access personally. So even if something went completely haywire with syncing or some goofy thing happening on my computer like it did with iCloud Drive, uh, I can log into an actual server, <laughs> an actual Linux server, and I can see exactly where those files are, you know, and I can debug what's going on. I can, uh, you know, maybe uninstall Nextcloud and delete the folder off my computer and then start over from scratch. You know, there's there's a whole bunch of things I can do to troubleshoot and to fix the problem that I was never able to do with iCloud Drive because, you know, it's just a black box. It's just this all-in-one thing from Apple. And if something weird's going on, I have no idea what to do about it because I'm not an Apple tech support engineer. <laughs> Um, so Nextcloud's been great. Uh, initially, I was using it just for file management, file syncing, and file sharing, and all that sort of stuff. But Nextcloud is actually expanding into just a, a whole suite of cloud applications and all kinds of add-ons and plugins and so forth that different people are developing, which is really cool. Um, the only thing I'm using besides files now is calendars. So I've switched away from using Apple's calendars to using calendars on my own Nextcloud install. Uh, and that's worked really well. 
Um, and uh, you can do more. You can, you know, do contacts. You can do, uh, you know, a whole bunch of other things with Nextcloud if you wish. Um, but I think, you know, being able to self-host your own file syncing and calendars is pretty cool. So, uh, so Nextcloud is is probably what I would suggest anybody if they were thinking of, you know, maybe self-hosting their own internet service. I would say this is the place to start. And uh, and DigitalOcean makes it really easy. Um, so DigitalOcean is a cloud hosting company that is you know basically pitched to developers and businesses um, to you know be able to set up their own servers and their own um, internet hosting infrastructure in the cloud. Uh, but it's uh, you know the, what makes using DigitalOcean different than just directly using a cloud service is um, you know DigitalOcean just basically provides like the literal computer that's in a data center somewhere and they provide you know the the ability to to uh, access that computer remotely um, but that's it you know they 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 don't have any visibility into your exact OS your exact application installs your files you know what you're doing like like everything is is cordoned off from them because it's your own Linux OS install. So, you know, you have your own passwords, you have your own secure access, uh, you know, all the files that you store there, everything is locked down and secured. So, you know, if, if you think about it, like, like if you literally walked into a data center next door and, you know, literally put your own computer in that data center, you know, and, and, you know, all they did was just provide, you know, a place to store that computer and an internet connection, um, DigitalOcean is is hardly any more than that, um, so it's very different than you know you just using an internet service from you know Google or Microsoft or Amazon or whatever, Apple. Um, you know, digi- with DigitalOcean, it's completely different. All they're doing is just providing some computing power in their data center and a fast internet connection and you know a dashboard to you know to facilitate these 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 servers, which they call droplets. And that's it. So, you know, whatever software you install, whatever kind of, you know, access you set up for yourself or other people, um, it's all completely under your own control. They, they don't have any access to that. They don't have any visibility to that. You know, there isn't some, some dude, you know, sitting at a computer somewhere bored thinking like, hey, I think I'll log into some Joe's server and poke around and see what they're up to. Like, that, that's just not possible. <laughs> they can't do that. So, uh, so it's great, you know, to 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 have this uh, this really inexpensive yet really stable and secure service that you can just you know spin up these these internet servers and install whatever you want. Um, I've just been having a blast with that. Uh, huge fan of DigitalOcean. Uh, so let's continue the list of services here. Um, next one I want to talk about is Matomo, um, and this is a replacement for Google Analytics. So um, if you run any kind of website or uh, have friends that do, you might have heard of Google's analytics service. Um, it's just a little JavaScript that you plug into a website and it allows, um, you know, sort of tracking like how many page views has this page gotten and how many people are clicking on this link over here and, you know, how long are people reading this article before they leave and go elsewhere on the site or leave the site entirely. Anyway, you can just collect all of these statistics about what's going on on your website. 
Um, and everyone just by default uses Google Analytics. I mean, it's it's just sort of unquestioned that that's what you'll use. Oh, you want analytics? Okay, we'll put this script in here and use Google Analytics. So, you know, understandably, <laughs> uh, the, anyone who's become very privacy-minded is going to be a little concerned that the internet is just <laughs> sending, like, obscene amounts of usage data off to Google about what's happening on websites everywhere. It's like, uh, wait a minute, do, do we really want Google to have all of this information? Uh, you know, it, it's uh, it's just mind-boggling how much usage there is of Google Analytics across the internet uh, and how much reliance people have on Google services in general for anything website-related these days. Um, and, you know, I'm not a fan of that. I, I really don't want Google to have that much power. I don't want them to have that much uh, uh, responsibility or, or access or visibility into what people are doing online. I really have a problem with that. So, thankfully, there is an open source self-hosted alternative called Matomo. And it provides, you know, pretty much all that you'd expect in a good analytics package. So, so I set that up a while back from my own site at jaredwhite.com. So I can get a rough idea of, you know, oh, uh, you know, 50 people read this article last month or, you know, 100 people have uh, viewed this archive of my newsletters or, you know, whatever the statistic is, uh, I can look that up. But it's, you know, all that data is, you know under my own control and under my own intent to keep things as private as possible and respectful of people. And even to the point where I set it up so that IP addresses are partially obfuscated. Um, So every time you go online and you access any web service, any website, anywhere, um, they're usually logging your IP address, which means, you know, they have a number, you know, 1.2.3.4, whatever that number is, you know, they have that number that says, you know, somebody, I mean, they don't know who you are personally, but they have a number that indicates, you know, how you arrived, you know, over the internet to their service. Um, And, you know, with companies that get a hold of huge data sets, there are actually ways to correlate IP addresses and internet usage patterns with actual you know, personal profiles. So there might be a way for you as you're browsing around and folks are collecting that IP address, there might be a way for them to, you know, correlate a bunch of data sets and, and, you know, think, hey, I think this particular IP address that keeps coming to this site and that site, it's probably Jane. It's probably Jane Goodall coming here <laughs> or, you know, whoever it is, they, they have all these profiles. Um, and so, you know, I just want to sidestep that. I don't want to collect IP addresses. So with Matomo, you can have that be partially obfuscated so it doesn't even, you know, save these full IP addresses. Uh, and you can also configure it to, to actually destroy any sort of even remotely personally identifiable information after a certain period of time. So even the, the obfuscated data gets just deleted after a certain period of time. Uh, I forget what it is, like, you know, 60 days or something like that. Um, so, you know, it, so it's really nice to be able to configure all that and just consistently have a privacy first mentality. Next up is I'm switching off of uh, either GitHub or Bitbucket for code repositories, um, for Git-based repositories. Um, I've uh, set up my own server for that, and I'm using Gitty. It kind of looks like Gitia, but I think it's actually Gitty. 
and um, that's G-I-T-E-A. And, um, you know, if you don't do software development yourself, if you don't have any need to host code, um, you can just, you know, feel free to skip forward a couple minutes here. Um, but basically, Gitty is uh, is a, a clone of GitHub in terms of the interface, uh, which I think is totally fine because GitHub has a really good interface and everyone's used to it. So Gitty just tries to make you feel as comfortable as possible. Um, and it's worked really well. So, so I'm, you know, in the process of moving uh, my own website repositories and some different projects and probably some client projects uh, going forward, uh, moving those all over to, uh, to a self-hosted Gitty install. Um, and that way, you know, uh, if, if uh, one of the big services like GitHub goes down or whatever, like it just doesn't matter because all the code's hosted on my own server. Um, and, you know, of course, you know, DigitalOcean itself could go down. That's always a possibility. But um, I've run, you know, a bunch of services on DigitalOcean for several years now, and they've been just totally and completely rock solid for me. Like, just, just it's just really impressive how rock solid it's been. Um, and, uh, you know, I just like the idea that, you know, if, if I'm writing a bunch of code for, a, for my site or for a client project, I, you know, I like the idea that that code is stored on a server that I administer. Um, it just, you know, feels, feels cleaner to me. It, it feels uh, like, you know, with everything else I'm doing, you know, I, I'm not just kind of relying on some other giant internet corporation to manage everything for me. Uh, I can manage it myself. So really a fan of Gitty. I think it's it's um, definitely a project worth considering if you have any need to to store code or, or even, you know, even files that you want to have under version control. Like, I think uh, designers and writers are also great candidates for people that should use version control. So, you know, you can put your files into a Git repository, and then every time you make changes, you can commit those changes, and it saves, you know, all those changes as new versions of those files, and you can look back at your version history, and you can compare different different versions and you can even have you know different branches maybe where you know say you're writing a novel and you're like you know I kind of want to take things in a certain direction but it might not work out I might want to backtrack and kind of you know rewrite some things to go in another direction Um, you know you can actually do that with branches (laughs) you know if if you're you know managing you know markdown files or some kind of text file um yeah, so I think even writers, uh, designers certainly can can make great use of Git repositories, and having your own uh, Gitty server make, means that all of that data is under your own control and you know your own privacy and security policies. Next one here is uh, I do use Mailchimp, which is a popular commercial service for sending out email newsletters and email campaigns. Uh, I do use MailChimp for my mailing list at jaredwhite.com, but uh, the actual process of creating a newsletter, uh, that is something that I've written myself as a developer, and it's part of the the content management system that I've created myself for my own website. Um, I use the open source Jekyll project for for actually publishing my site, but for um, creating content and for editing content, um, I use a content management system I developed myself, and I'm hoping at some point to release that as an open source package to the public. Um, so I'm, I'm actually taking some, some major steps right now towards that end. 
Um, and I think it's pretty cool because one of the things I can do with creating newsletters is, um, you know, I have a big empty box where I can type in, you know, a, a message that I want to have as part of my newsletter issue. But, um, but I can also just check, I just have check boxes and I can just check off things that I've already posted on my site. So if I've already posted some photos or some links or some other little thoughts, you know, like, Twitter type thoughts on my own site. Um, if I already have those posts, I can just, you know, click some check boxes and all that gets included automatically in the newsletter. So it's a really nice solution. And, you know, I, I wish everybody had this who, who blogs at all. Like, I think this is just a brilliant solution to be able to, you know, take all of the content that you've already posted on your website, on your blog, um, you know, add some commentary around that and just click a button and, and your newsletter issue is automatically created and, and it's uh, saved as a draft in MailChimp. And all you have to do is go over to MailChimp and say, send this, you know, now or on some schedule. And, and that's how easy it is to create a new newsletter issue. So I think this is a cool workflow. I haven't heard of anyone doing something exactly like that. Uh, so I, I really hope I can get this out as, a, as an open source software package soon. I want to give a little shout out here to Netlify. Uh, Netlify is sort of the other half of the coin um, as, you know, part of this overall website publishing solution. So, you know, I use DigitalOcean for hosting the actual software I use to manage my website to, to, to host that content management system I've developed. Um, but Netlify is what actually publishes my site at jaredwhite.com. So if you go to jaredwhite.com or you go to my... Um, my website development company's site at whitefusion.io or, or uh, you know, any number of other sites I manage, um, all of those sites are themselves published and hosted at Netlify. Um, so, so that's another great company to check out. Um, you know, if, if you were my client and I was working with you on a new website project, you would basically sign up for a DigitalOcean server and a Netlify account and you know both of those combined per month is is really negligible like most of the time netlify is free because <laughs> they have a really generous free plan um, for most sites it's perfectly adequate uh, and DigitalOcean servers are basically like five dollars ten dollars a month somewhere in that range for for most purposes so uh, so it's really really modest cost um, great way to you know have a have your own little website and internet cloud empire of your of your own control and own choosing. All right, uh, continuing along here, um, I've talked a lot about Mastodon on this program. Of course, Mastodon is the federated open source social networking software that's really blowing up right now. Um, and I run my own instance of Mastodon on a DigitalOcean server, of course. So, uh, so my Mastodon account, I'm, I'm at jared at openweb.social. Openweb.social is that Mastodon instance. And anyone can sign up there, actually. So if you go to openweb.social, you can create your own account with, uh, with that server there, with that instance, and then you'll be part of the Mastodon social network. Uh, so you can follow other people on Mastodon. You can, you know, read posts. You can discover people. You can do all the kinds of things that people do on Mastodon. Uh, you can do that from the instance that I administer. So uh, openweb.social, check it out. Uh, you can find me there. And, um, yeah, it's fun. You know, I, I'm not saying that everyone should run their own instance, of course. There are plenty of great instances out there. You should probably just find one that, you know, speaks to your particular interests and, and join that. Um, 
join openweb.social. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, for me, because I am self-hosting a lot of stuff and because I'm a web developer and because Mastodon is actually written with the Ruby programming language and in the Ruby on Rails framework, um, I, I really just kind of want to, uh, you know, go all in with, with being part of that Mastodon ecosystem. Uh, so it was fun to set up an instance. It was really easy, and um, keeping it up to date's been pretty easy. So I'm just having a blast with that. I'm using something for news reading, for subscribing to news feeds online, uh, and it's something I've developed myself called Posture. And this is yet another bit of software that I'm working on that I hope I can soon open source and get it out there for anyone to install and to use on their own servers. Uh, so I'm very excited about this, but um, you can you can get a, uh, a beta account right now for free. Uh, just go to posture.news, and that's posture as in like correct your posture or, you know, sit sit upright in your chair, have good posture, that kind of thing. So go to posture.news and sign up for a private beta account there, and uh, I'll, I'll help you get set up with that, um, you know, so you don't have to install anything yourself right now. Um, but I've been using Posture for news reading, and uh, it's been it's been really great because uh, I've I've done a, I've done a lot to make uh, consuming news feeds and interacting with news feeds feel as, as easy and as pleasant in terms of the user interface as uh, using social media. So I think you know people are used to getting news blurbs from Facebook or Twitter. Uh, if they start using Posture, they should feel right at home. Uh, that's my goal. So, so I use that. Um, you know, a lot of people these days, if you ask them, like, how do you get news online? They might say uh, Twitter, or they might say Apple News, or they might say, you know, an email newsletter from some big newspaper or whatever. A lot of people will say Facebook. Um, but for me, my the primary way that I get news these days is through uh, news feeds on Posture, which is pretty cool. So check that out, posture.news. Um, and lastly, a couple things here. Uh, these are not self-hosted services. These are commercial services, but they're small independent companies that are really committed to privacy, that are really committed to um, you know, respect of the customer, which I appreciate. Um, so Fastmail, I use for all of my email needs. Uh, don't use Gmail, never have. Uh, would never, never trust my email to Google. <laughs> like, honestly, like, I'm just telling you right now, don't trust your email to Google. Get off of Gmail. Please, please do. I, you know, I, I just, I don't care what service you use as long as it's not Google. Please get off of Google. I recommend Fastmail. Um, it's been a really solid service. It's not too expensive. I think it's $5 a month or something like that. Um, but they're a great company. I think they're based in Australia. Um, but, you know, all they do is provide mail services to people and they try to do a really good job with that and, um, you know, respect people's privacy and all that. So uh, check out Fastmail. And then lastly, SmugMug. I've talked about this on the program before. Um, I've used SmugMug to create uh, photo galleries that I just want to share with some family and friends. Um, you know, you can just sign up for SmugMug. It doesn't cost that much. Um, I forget. I forget what the cost is, but it's something like uh, $10 a month or $15 a month or something like that. But um but you can create, you know, one or more photo galleries and you can pick a theme and make it look really cool and you can upload photos and they're, you know, beautiful high resolution photos, not the crappy scaled down photos you get on Facebook or whatever. 
um, and you can you know set up these galleries and then set it up with with passwords. So you know only family and friends that you give the password to can access that photo gallery. Uh, so I think Smug Mug's a pretty cool service there. You know if you have aspirations as a photographer in general, uh, you definitely want to check out Smug Mug for that. And Smug Mug is the parent company now of Flickr. So if you you know want to be part of a of a big social network that uh, was around long before Instagram was around, um, and you know participate in in sort of a photography based social network, uh, Flickr is still a thing. I'm 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 really not getting into Flickr myself or or really recommending it to people until they get off of the Yahoo login. Um, so you know, of course, uh, as everyone probably knows, uh, Yahoo bought Flickr a long time ago, and Flickr was part of the Yahoo family of services. And Yahoo, you know, with, like with so many things, just really botched <laughs> keeping Flickr uh, alive in a healthy and vibrant way. So you know, Flickr kind of you know, limped along and survived in spite of Yahoo's governance. And now that Smug Mug owns Flickr, uh, Flickr is becoming uh, sort of a, a new, scrappy, revitalized uh, service, and it's exciting to see that. But um, but yeah, they're, they're still in the process of getting away from requiring Yahoo-based logins. Uh, they're switching over to their own, you know, internal identity service for Flickr. So uh, so once that happens, I'm going to start using Flickr in a big way and and really get into that and tell people about it. But um but in the meantime, it's it's not necessarily something you should try right away. But uh Smugmug is different. Smugmug's not a social network. It's just a way to set up your own photography website and host that and have a beautiful theme for your photo galleries. So so it's a cool service. So that pretty much sums up the year of the personal cloud. That's what I've been up to. <laughs> um, and I'm continually looking out for uh, even more services and more ways to, to self-host internet services for myself and to have control over those services and over my data. Um, there's an article. Uh, I really don't have time to get into a whole link segment for this show, but um, but you know a couple links here I want to share with you. Uh, one is by Blair Reeves, and it has the title "Taking Control of Your Internet," and it has a lot of these uh, similar sentiments of you know taking a step back and analyzing how you use the internet and maybe uh, <laughs> finding ways to to take more control over you know what you do on the internet and who's controlling your data, who's controlling your identity. Uh, so that's a link in the show notes. So it was a good article. <laughs> I'll just close out here with something that was uh, was pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, Casey Neistat, the, the massively popular YouTuber, uh, did a fun little episode and basically talked about how he came to the conclusion that he was using his phone way too much to do social networking stuff on Instagram and on Twitter, um, you know, primarily those two services. Uh, he, you know, looked at his daily average, which is, um, uh, you know, it's a really nice feature that Apple put into their their last iOS update, um, the screen time feature. So you can kind of, you know, see what you're actually doing on your phone on a daily basis. And, you know, it's a good gut check to kind of see like, you know, wait a minute, is this really what I want to be doing with my time? Um, so he looked and found out that he was using Instagram about an hour every day. That was the daily average. Uh, he was using Twitter uh, a little over 45 minutes a day on average. So put that together and he was spending, you know, 
almost two hours every day, <laughs> averaged out. He was spending almost two hours just scrolling through Twitter and Instagram. And, you know, rightly so, he's, he was questioning, like, what am I doing? Why is this, why is this important to me? Uh, why should I be doing this? What, what can I do that's different? <laughs> should I do something different? And he came to the conclusion that, that he really wanted to spend more of his time elsewhere. So he deleted the Twitter app and the Instagram app off his phone entirely. He just cold turkey deleted those apps. He still has his accounts, of course, but uh, he is, you know, sort of setting aside a time to sit down at his desk and use a computer to check Twitter or Instagram and, you know, maybe reply to some people, post something, whatever. Um, but he's not going to he's not going to allow himself to just kind of mindlessly slip into this pattern of scrolling through social network feeds on his phone at random times. Um, I looked at my own stats and I spend like one fifth to a quarter the amount of time daily that Casey does. Um, basically across all social networking apps on my phone, I've been spending about a half an hour a day. Uh, and I feel like that's pretty reasonable. You know, half hour is still in that range where, you know, you're just kind of goofing around, you know, you have a little break, you have some downtime and you're just kind of, you know, seeing what's going on in the world. You know, half an hour a day, that, that seems pretty good to me. Uh, if I if I notice that usage go going way up on my phone, you know, if it gets close to an hour a day, I'm going to be really concerned. But as long as it's in that half hour a day, um, I feel like, you know, I'm in a, a, a pretty good zone there. Um, but yeah, you, you should, uh, if you use an iPhone, you should look that up too. You should enable screen time and let it collect some usage patterns over a week and then, and then see through that week what your averages are. I think that's, it's really fascinating. All right, folks, uh, I have more stuff here in my show notes, uh, my internal show notes for, for what to talk about, but I feel like this episode's gone on quite a while. So I will close now and save some of this other stuff for next time. So, uh, so thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, bearing with me as I go over all these internet services that I'm hosting myself now as part of my year of the personal cloud. And if you would like to have your own year of your own personal cloud and get off of these big commercial services, take control over your data, uh, please, please contact me. Send me an email, jared at jaredwhite.com or go to patreon.com slash essential life jared uh, sign up for that 49 a month tier and i can help you get set up with all these services yourself which i think would be totally awesome um all right folks uh i'll be back next week with a big episode about uh everything that apple's announced until then have a fabulous week and weekend and i'll see you next time all right bye bye Jerry Rachel.